0: First thought was, what what gave someone the right to try this? Some crazed genius who just I don't even know. There, there's words are difficult at the moment. It's terrifyingly delicious.
1: Like the choc, the chocolate ice cream is fantastic, and the sauces are I don't know, oddly tasty. But together, it's I don't I don't know how it's very tasty. It's amazing. Hi, my name is Anthony,
0: and my name is Joel,
1: and we're eating the Messina ice cream hot dogs.
2: Hi, my name is Samaya, and I'm Zahara, and we're from Madeleine, and you're listening to the, to the Guardian, Guardian Sydney, Sydney, Sydney Festival, Festival podca- podcast. You can't say I, I can't synchronize. I'm sorry. I can't help it. She's not synchronized.
3: Welcome to Guardian Australia's Sydney Festival podcast. We're here today at Carriage Works in Redfern, where this weekend we'll play host to the About an Hour Festival. It's also the home of Christian Boltanski's a massive installation, Chance. Uh, which you can just hear behind us. And uh, we've talked about it in previous podcasts, actually. Go back to episode two and you'll hear Andrew Frost talk about it more. But it's like a massive contraption filled with um, a loop of baby's faces. It's kind of like a big machine, which is quite amazing in this space, which is kind of a huge industrial hall. I'm here with Jane Howard. Hello. Van Badham, hello, and Helen
2: Davidson.
3: Hi, Vicky. And we're going to talk about some of the shows we've been seeing at the festival. We're going to start with Dido and Aeneas, which had its big opening night last night. Jane went to review it for us, and she took Van with her. And I think you have quite differing opinions. Jane, tell us what your opinion was.
4: Look, I've written my review, and you can read it on the website. But I'm still, I'm still in sort of two minds about it, and I kind of, I kind of feel it was so bad it's good, but. That really just means it's bad. Let's talk
3: a little bit about the production. This is Sasha Walsh's um, uh, interpretation of Purcell's opera. Uh, but of course, it's a choreographed opera. There's lots of dance. And how does the actual opera come through, Jane?
4: Well, I, the, the actual opera, I don't think is there. The music's there. The, the story, I, I couldn't see the story. I couldn't tell who the characters were. I know because I I researched that Dido kills herself. I'm pretty certain in this interpretation she killed herself by growing her hair out and suffocating herself. But that might have not even been Dido, that might have just been someone else that had really long hair in that scene because I have no idea.
3: So, so, so basically no idea what's going on uh, there of course has been a lot of fuss about the uh, underwater dancing scene sort of in a massive aquarium uh, sort of at the front of the stage how did that go down?
4: I really liked that and, I, and I, really liked, I really liked Waltz's choreography and the show made me want to see some of her contemporary dance work, that's what I came away wanting to see and I loved the underwater scene and I thought it was very playful and inventive and there was this moment where all of the dancers in the tank were doing this Pessi allegro and it was beautiful um, as was much of the other dance and the dance played off really interestingly against the music contemporary dance against baroque music but why well then why don't why didn't I go see a dance show then
3: so Van you had a different reaction to this I think James is basically it's totally impenetrable but there were moments of joy
5: yours is oh mine was it's a work of genius like Sasha was just from a purely theatrical perspective, it, her control of spatial relationships and her understanding of the semiotics of space is extraordinary and I think we have to look at the work for a contribution to an evolving narrative of what is dance and what is opera and what are the future of these forms. Opera and, and ballet in particular are notorious for existing as museum pieces. Like, anybody who's who's ever been i don't think I, I don't think that's totally true you know i think that's very true i think if you look at the hysteria of opera patrons when anybody plays around with the presentation or the form or okay, something a, in the repertoire on
3: an international stage i don't think on opera in, yes, is but about we are
5: not on any we are but this an is an international interna- but this is an inter- in festival,
3: but this is but an international still, piece we are still operating
5: within the context of what people expect from opera in australia and i, 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 but think,
3: I think if you look at i don't think reaction to Dido and Aeneas. i mean I think it. it reaction has been mixed internationally. I don't think it's this kind of necessarily an Australian question. I think it's sort of like a, you know but, I
5: mean there is a broader question there about what is Sasha Walls attempting to do. If you're looking at it as a as a choreographer interpreting an opera I'm sure it's very confusing. If you look at it as um, a choreographer using an opera and subjecting an opera to the aesthetics of dance, I think it's a triumph. She has made a ballet of an opera. She has made an incredibly integrated... immersive design experience an immersive dance experience and she's inverted the entire power relationship of what we expect in that performance con- context we're expecting that there will be a story of Dado and Aeneas. we're expecting the music will cue these emotional states that accommodate this narrative and she's turned that on its head and gone no the dance is going to create a new narrative out of an opera and a text a musical text. But she text didn't do that that's... enough she,
4: she spent too much, there was why then is there a synopsis sitting on my seat when I go in with Purcell's synopsis on it? Why do I get given Purcell's lyrics if you're saying she's subverting that? Well, it needs to exist as a separate thing then. You can't have it both ways. You can't say this is
5: the plot or we're not doing it. Well, I, why not? I mean, of course you can. It's art. I mean, she can do it whatever way she likes. But she can, as an audience, <laughs>
3: that's quite unsatisfying, isn't it? I mean, you need to sign, maybe need to signpost your audience a little bit more what they think, you know, slightly more, what they might get. Do
5: we really need to do that, though? I mean... you are
4: hosting it that, by
3: putting the synopsis there. I think and, that's and changed. I think,
5: and by
4: casting and by sort of giving the actors character names. Like, I, I, would, I would have preferred it if it just sort of got rid of... The, the plot and the characters and then did it the way that you're talking about and well, subjective I think it did get dances. rid of the plot
5: and the characters. Well, then I mean I within well, the programme I did not have characters. I didn't read the programme. I just walked in as an aesthetic experience. I generally I'm the kind of art consumer who doesn't rely on doesn't rely on the programme for information. I'm the art. kind of critic that makes sure she knows who the actors are. Well I'm just I'm just more interested in having the aesthetic experience.
4: I think Jane you're slightly getting having read Jane's review which is very interesting and I do suggest you go and read it because
3: it's there's a very interesting response about it all being impenetrable, but actually there being these lovely moments that are quite outside that that you really enjoy,
4: Yeah, and, and
3: I think maybe you're, we're slightly getting stuck down the cul-de-sac of the programme, but I mean I think that was an interesting response to it, because you're slightly struggling with yourself, aren't you?
4: Yeah, absolutely, and that's sort of one of the interesting things about being a critic and sort of having to sort of do things the day after is maybe, and maybe in a week I'll have a different opinion and maybe I'll hate it more or I'll love it more, I don't know.
5: Oh, I just think the
4: scene with the heads come out of the
5: floor, it's just off the chart.
4: Helen, last night you went to
3: see uh, two very different acts. You went to see Samaris, and then you went to see Hurricane Transcriptions, which sounds mad, and we've talked about it a little bit before. Let's start with uh, Samaris. Tell me what you thought.
2: Samaris are an Icelandic trio of um, electronic musicians. There's, um, they have their producer, a singer, and a clarinet player. Um, and it's, it's very atmospheric, very, very ethereal. Um, they've actually had quite a meteoric rise after they've only been around for about three years and they're already sort of touring the globe winning prizes um, they were lovely uh, the vocals are beautiful the the clarinet um, the clarinet and electronic music combination was wanting and you know it it definitely was ethereal but yeah <laughs> yes and here comes the but. Yes. what was the problem uh, the problem was I felt like I'd heard most of it before um, it didn't seem entirely original and I hate to draw comparisons to Bjork just because they're also Icelandic, but there was that sense within the music, minus the originality of Bjork. And I, you know, if they aren't already, I feel like their songs are definitely going to end up on a Ministry of Sound chill out compilation album at some point down the track. That's
3: never a good. That's never a good, uh, good way to go. Really.
2: <laughs> Terrible business. So, uh, Hurricane Transcriptions, likely to end up on a Ministry of Sound our Out album? Definitely not, absolutely not on that one. Um, that was a double bill. It was Hurricane Transcriptions First, uh, put together by Lee Ronaldo, ex-Sonic Youth. Um, Lee Ronaldo, ex-Sonic Youth, has created this piece based around his recordings and his experience of Hurricane Sandy um, smashing into New York City in uh, 2012. Um, the arrangements, which are predominantly string and percussion, built around his recordings and around his experiences, um, do provide quite you know, a stormy, uh, a stormy sound. Uh, there's definitely a lead up into it. It does take the trajectory of a hurricane. You know, you have that build up into this chaotic, frenetic, just you know, wall of sound around you, and then you do end up in the eye of the storm. And I found before it builds up again, before it fades away again, and I found that quite interesting. Um, unfortunately I also found that a lot of the time it did just sound like an orchestra warming up Um. (laughs) (laughs) probably not the overall idea yeah no and so I think the idea was there and the concept was there and it was very ambitious and it was very talented but I just don't think it was quite there yet I think it has huge potential if they continue to develop it and the hurricane transcripts was part of a double bill wasn't it that was so that was the second half of the show and this this was Mike Patton's reinterpretation of Luciano Berio's 1965 piece um, Labyrinthus II which was written in tribute to the Italian poet Dante Alighieri um, wrote the Divine Comedy so you know already you're set up for a nightmare right
3: yeah it sounds very straightforward easy lesson you know here
2: totally yeah you know background music this one no it was it was an auditory nightmare Um, and I say that as a compliment because that's what it was meant to be and It was the full experience that Lee Ronaldo's piece was lacking. Um, It was just huge sound, and despite the fact that Patton is narrating, um, he's narrating an opera in Italian, he still sounds rock, particularly at the point where he picks up a loudspeaker and screams his narration over the crowd. Um, This was chaotic, it was all-encompassing, it was really quite disturbing, but it was everything that it was meant to be, um, and I, I was very much impressed with this. The second half of the
3: show, and Mike Patton really is quite rock, isn't he? I mean, there's no, there's no two ways about that. I suppose it was always going to be like that, a bit.
2: It was, and I think that's what everybody was there to see. Those were the bits that the audience really reacted to when he got loud. Thanks, Hannah.
5: I stage dive at Faith No More at Waves, Wollongong in 1993. <laughs> ended up with my neck in a brace, and it was one of the fucking best nights of my life.
3: As well as Dido and Aeneas van, last night you also went to see Scotch and
5: Soda and you loved it. I did, I absolutely loved it. It's my first five-star review of the festival.
3: In fact, it's the first five-star review that's not music of the whole festival. First performance five-star review.
5: Well, not quite, because it is very much a musical show. And the triumph of Scotch and Soda is that they've taken Circus, the dreaded Circus, the circus of ubiquity that's going on in the circus known as the Sydney Circus Festival. Uh, They've taken Circus and they've done something genius with it, which is to share an aesthetic with that of a band. And they have this fantastic gypsy band led by a percussionist who are on stage the whole time, and the band are integrated with what the acrobats are doing. And the whole concept is that you have, that a group of acrobats arrive at this party that's being run by the band. It's got this wonderful 1930s depression era sort of aesthetic, or it could be the late 19th century in Europe, but traditional carnavale, dusty, you know, canvas tent atmosphere. And of course they all turn up and the party is on and their beer bottles come out and they're bawdy and they're rollicking and not a word is spoken, there may be like you know, two sentences of dialogue and the whole thing. But there's a girl, there's competition over the girl, there's men with other men doing manly things and shows of masculine strength. And it plays on all these sort of stereotypes of circus narratives with this incredible soundtrack that veers from gypsy music to klezma to free jazz um, with horns and a double bass, extraordinary double bass playing. And this percussionist who is really the center of the whole show who, and this is the the wonderful craft difference between Scotch soda and the other the circus I've seen is that having that percussionist means that everything is tight everything is your perfect paced momentum and you're really guided through a whole emotional experience of the show nothing goes on for a second longer than it should and nothing comes up short either and the emotionality of the piece is quite engaging for something that's really just a party with a bit of you know fighting and, and fooling around it's great it's, um, it's a late night show isn't it 10.30 it is, and it's definitely for adults. I mean, genitals come out, and there is a scene that, that only adults would really understand the dynamics of the takes place between the girl and the two boys that gets very physical and very rowdy. And so, I mean, it's, it's not Circus for Children by any stretch of the imagination. Take the kids to see Kapoor, but this is for adults, and what a treat it is. It is just escapist wonderland.
3: This weekend, if you go to Mount Druitt, you'll find everything from a Wizard of Oz museum to a proper opera. We sent audio producer Miles Montagnoni to talk to the people behind Fun Park.
0: We're currently walking through Bidwill Square, which is, I suppose, the central area within the Bidwill community. To our left is the mall that hasn't really opened. Um, it's been five years in the making. Um, to the right is the pub and right in the middle is very much a pretty large car park which is turning into a bit of a pink and orange coloured theme by um, by the wonderful artists from Provence.
1: So it's called fun park because arguably Bidwell is one of the most unfun places in Sydney. And so I think it needs we need to you know explore what is fun about it and lift that up um, and create and create some nice games and fun things. Like there's no sporting teams, the sporting teams dissolved in the 90s because the people couldn't afford the assurance. There's no shop here. There's absolutely no shop, there's one kebab shop and then there's a pub and everyone has to buy their groceries at the bottle shop, so all the kids go there to buy lollies, they go there to buy milk and bread um, and that causes a lot of problems. There's no art practice out here, the kids are bored, there is absolutely nothing to do and you can see that when you come out here, so having Fun Park out here is just this extraordinary thing. Hi, my name's Karen Therese and I'm the executive producer of Fun Park. And um, I'm an artist who likes to take people on radical journeys or radical adventures outside of their kind of comfort zones to kind of take them to places in Sydney that maybe they have heard about but for whatever reason have not visited. And I suppose with Fun Park this is about taking people outside their geographical comfort zones and coming out to Mount Jewett and, uh, and having an interesting experience here. So, you'll come to Fun Park like you go to a fun park, you know, I've tried to kind of map it out like that, and you get to the front desk and you get a map, you get a timetable, you get a map of the site, and you can wander around at different times and see different things. So, through here is David Capra's Wizard of Oz Museum with Dorothy Overton. Dorothy Overton will be sitting there and you'll be able to see her amazing Wizard of Oz memorabilia collection and it's pretty extraordinary and he's also collaborated with the Wizard of Oz Funland so they've also done some a lot, of the, um, a lot of the decoration in here Tin Man's Heart, um, um, a video about the Munchkins um, the monkeys, the lollipop kids, yeah it's all here. Any books? I actually said to Dorothy because I'm a Wizard of Oz enthusiast myself um, and I said, you know, Dorothy, I have actually, because I'm Hungarian, I said, I have the Wizard of Oz book in Hungarian or in Magyar. And she went, I have that. And I also have it in German. <laughs> it was my one little thing I thought she wouldn't have, but she, yeah, totally trumped me. So you'll be able to have a cup of tea with Dorothy, who's this lovely, lovely woman. And she'll be in her Wizard of Oz pyjamas and her ruby slippers and be here to talk to you about her collection, which is a pretty extraordinary thing. So there's seven young people who call themselves the social revolutionaries and they'll be performing in here sitting along there and they're talking about their experiences of growing up in Western Sydney and how the media has um, kind of slandered them over the last 25 years and how that actually affects them and if you really they're talking about the really famous um, case of the class that failed, which was actually Mount about Mount Druitt High and how that um, newspaper article profoundly af- affected generations of young people in this area and so they're talking, they're telling the truth behind these newspaper articles to kind of change people's minds.
0: Um, hi, my name is Pascal Antosbury. I am the performance curator at Blacktown Art Centre. We have been working uh, with uh, Karen Therese and the Fun Park team for about six months now. I don't really have a paternalistic idea of what, why, art, you know, how art benefits a community. I think it is actually a really equal conversation. It's about community also approaching us and saying to us, hey, we need some help in re- redefining our environment. Um, and we respond accordingly and you know for us it's really about that equal kind of relationship it's not about saying to a community that you need this as you know to to better your landscape I don't think that's the job of artists but it's just our job to be there to, to I suppose provoke a question about environment and how we make it better
1: Come on down to Fun Park, it starts at 6 o'clock. I would come from 6 to 10 to get the whole experience of it. It's in Bidwell Square at Carlisle Avenue. Um, you can go to www.getfunparked.com for all the event information. Um, and there's a Sydney Festival bus from Mount Jewett uh, train station, which you can get on and it takes you out to the site. Uh, and that starts at 5.30. And that will be running every half an hour. So it's uh, going to be really accessible and a really, really amazing experience for people.
3: I'm joined now by Kate Denborough, who is the director of Forklift which is playing at Carriage Works till Sunday. Hello Kate. Hello. Nice to be here. Will you tell us a little bit about your work, we've not seen it yet but it's a very visual thing isn't it?
6: Yeah, I think hopefully it'll be, it's, it'll be something that no one has ever seen before. It's a very unusual uh, concept I suppose but it has a mixture of great beauty and strength, uh, obviously a very very heavy and dangerous machine but with three very live beautiful women performing in on and around it so it's dance with a forklift truck effectively it kind of is it's I think that the three performers are very highly skilled in different areas one is a contortionist hand balancer one is an aerialist acrobat clown and the other is a dancer and contortionist so they've got incredibly uh, different and highly kind of specialized skills as performers Uh, and I I suppose the combination of the 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 forklift actually becomes another performer so it it feels a bit like we've tamed a beast and it's very much you know another Performer and character in the show. And actually, we had uh, a performance last night, and the cast actually, I thought they were joking, but they were serious in wanting to acknowledge the, perf- the forklift as one of the performers in the curtain call. And I was like, oh. But I think, you know, a very, there's so much trust that goes on with the performers working with the machine that they actually seriously feel like it's, you know, it's another cast member.
3: So it's something we haven't seen before. I have definitely never seen this.
6: Uh, can you tell us a bit about where the idea came from? I think. Uh, I love big machines. I love watching construction sites. I think there's something epic and theatrical about lots of people digging and fundamentally changing and altering something and if you watch a construction site over time, you know it's a beautiful transformation, whether it's beautiful aesthetically in terms of something being built that's an ugly building, but just the transformation from nothing to something I think is quite interesting and the progression and the process of that. And I'm always looking for something different to do and a different way of using Physicality, and a forklift is actually a fantastic tool to have on stage because you can do so many different things with it. It's like a revolving stage. You can make it go incredibly high, eight meters in the air. It can go forwards and backwards. It can drive fast. It can do donuts. You know, it actually, it's got. We've built a roof on top of the forklift, so we've got. It's like having different platforms and levels. Actually, a little stage within a stage, and just also, it just felt like something different you know we all got our forklift driver's licenses and and even that it it just was you know great fun and different stimulating challenging so tell me about that about when you first went into the
3: rehearsal room
6: and had to go from having that as an idea to a reality well we went very slowly actually so before we even were in the rehearsal room i did a lot of research we approached toyota material handling looked at forklifts i had a you know a kind of crash course and then I went and got my license Uh, and so there was a lot of preparation before we were in the rehearsal room and we also had to get a lot of risk assessment so because it's incredibly dangerous and obviously everything we do on stage is not legal in in terms of a health and safety aspect Uh, we just went very methodically and went through every possible physical scenario that I could dream of that we could do and then we looked at the risk associated you know very slow process then we got the dancers on then we'd say well let's try this at one meter high two meters high three meters high you know very methodical It was quite different to anything I've ever done before
3: and this is a new work for the festival and um, is there something about creating work for a festival that's quite particular is there something special about that
6: well we we weren't creating the work just for a festival context but in a way, it's, it's the most fantastic opportunity to present a new work because I think audiences are more willing to take a risk. There seems to be a, a, you know, a greater license to experiment or the, the, the atmosphere around a festival, I think, is open to more challenging work. And also people know that there's work around and on and it, there's a bit of a buzz. I think it's wonderful if you can be part of a festival, obviously, because it just brings so much. And I think in terms of audiences, obviously, audiences are more likely to come, I think, essentially.
3: I think that's especially true at Carriage Works because it's got this really interesting sort of little program of shorter pieces, and you can see a bunch of them all together, and it has that real festival vibe. Um, so do head down to Carriage Works uh, this weekend to catch Forklift. Um, you're playing till Sunday. Thank
6: you so much, Kate. Thank you very much.
3: Be back at Carriage Works tomorrow. I will be discussing about an hour and some other shows that we're all off to see tonight. Uh, see you then, Van. Thanks so much for coming yeah. in.
5: Thanks. I'm seeing Traveling North tonight. David Williamson back on stage. Oh, at
2: Sydney Theatre Company. Hey. Sydney Theatre Company. And what about you, Helen? Um, I'm heading off to the Modular Evening at Town Hall tonight, which should be fun. But um, I'll tell you all about that tomorrow.
3: Great. Look forward to it. And thanks very much, Jane.
2: Thank you. I've got the forklift tomorrow afternoon, and then
4: straight
5: onto the podcast.